Welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I am your host, Bart Vanderzee, and today I am joined by Mr. Rob Cook. Rob, welcome. Hey, Bart. How's it going, man? Good. I'm uh, I'm pumped to have you back. We are uh, pretty fresh off of the Chicago Drum Show. It wasn't that long ago. It's it's June right now. Um, I had a great time. I know these are crazy circumstances here in uh, you know 2021, but I think everyone really enjoyed themselves. I think so. Uh, it was it was pretty remarkable. Uh, even though we were down in attendance and exhibitor count enthusiasm was was way up. Um, I, I talked to exhibitor after exhibitor who had record sales in spite of the 50% drop in attendance. It was really pretty remarkable. Wow. Everybody did seem to do really well mm. and, uh, and nobody got hurt. No. <laughs> so that's always a bonus. And, uh, uh, the staff, uh, was encouraging as always. And, uh, yeah, I th- things overall went pretty smoothly. Yeah. And, uh, the best thing for me was I won the WFL three snare drum uh, oh, yeah. in the raffle yeah. on the last day, yeah. which was like mind blowing. And it is awesome. I have it set up behind me right now on my drums. And uh, I mean, the, the snare sounds just amazing. I've been playing the one that uh, Bill and the girls gave to me just a few minutes before that. Yeah. Also, I I just got it uh, set up with the kit that I kind of bang around on uh, yesterday, actually, and I'm I'm having a good time with that. They gave me a really nice drum that has the the uh, number thirty on the side in the skyline of Chicago, mm. and it it was uh, it was a wonderful gift, and I really like that yeah. drum. That was I think that was special for everyone to kind of stand there and just see him present that to you with his daughters yeah. and uh, and. Going up, I went up to Bill after and thanked him, and uh, and he was just such a nice guy. So um, that was yeah. that was a nice perk to win a uh, oh, man. pretty expensive yeah. snare drum for five dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. Well, today this topic, you're you are obviously one of my favorite guests on the show. You've been on the show uh, a handful of times. I mean, it has to be four or five mm-hmm. now, um, and they're always great episodes. Today we're talking about the history of endorsements such a unique and interesting topic. People might not realize that endorsements go back a long time. Um, so why don't you mm-hmm. just kind of take it back to the beginning and um, and tell us about endorsements? And maybe before you start, you can yeah. actually define what an endorsement is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of my goals for this episode. That's a um, kind of a pet peeve of mine is when it's misunderstood and misstated and so on. So we'll be going over that and uh, going over the background of it. And we'll spend, I think, a fair amount of time going over the current state of the artist relations world and situation. But uh, and and. To kick it off, I'd like to uh, give a tip of the hat to John DeChristopher. He's mm. got this program uh, live from my drum room. And uh, episode number one, which is available on, on YouTube or accessible on YouTube, uh, he starts it right off at the beginning with a, a really key point, which is one of my main goals, and that's to kind of uh, give an definition of endorsement because words really matter and they're important and it uh if you misstate it it makes you sound like you don't quite understand the situation and it can uh take away from your credibility a little bit but uh as as john points out and and i should also mention john de christopher was with was the head of artist relations for Zildjian for, for quite some time. Was it 15 years or something? Um, and as one of the, the larger companies in terms of uh, artist roster and endorsement program and so on, he's, he's really seen a lot. And that's, it's why this subject is, is key to him. And that's the definition. Uh, an endorser is a person who endorses a particular product. That, that would seem obvious, but <laughs> you need to be clear that the company is the endorsee yes. and the artist is the endorser. Um, and the when you hear someone say, I am endorsed by XYZ company, that's not the way it works. What the artist needs to say is, I endorse ABC drums. Yes. They don't endorse me. Uh, 
an, another key point that I want to uh, steal from John's uh, presentation is the endorsee wants to see a return on their investment. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'd never heard it spelled out quite the way uh, he did, but from the Zildjian perspective, he mentioned that uh, Zildjian wanted to see a tenfold return on their investment. Now, their investment, obviously, is going to be the money they spend on their endorser in terms of time that it takes for them to uh, work with the guy in the first place. Mm -hmm. They've got an investment right out of the gate just by taking the time to answer the phone, answer the letter, uh, get the agreement set up, and so on. But then it it goes on to uh, providing uh, merchandise, sending stuff out, buying ads, all of those expenditures are money that they're putting out that they want to return on. And in the case of Zildjian, uh, John mentioned that they wanted a tenfold return. So if if they're going to spend $100 on on all of those things I mentioned uh, involved with getting an endorser signed, they're going to want to sell an extra $1,000 worth of product. Mm. So... Uh, for guys that are going out looking for an endorsement agreement, keep that in the back of your mind. You need to figure out how to present yourself in a way that's going to make the company money. Well, my, you know, and and I'm sure we'll talk about this maybe later, but maybe you can touch on it now. But like, it seems like one of those things that might be hard to quantify, though, because like, if I'm inspired by... um like Thomas Pridgen or something on Instagram. And then I go out and buy a Zildjian, you know, crash. I'm not going to, that, that information is not going to get back to Zildjian that I was inspired by him playing and using Zildjian. So it's kind of like, I wonder how that affects it of like, you can't tell sometimes. Oh, Oh yeah. It's difficult. And that's, uh, that's where the, uh, artist relations people and the marketing people that that they work under and sure. the, the heads of the company and all that kind of have to get a feel for it and say, geez, we've seen these stick sales going up. I wonder if it has anything to do with the, the new artist series we just came out with, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But um, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's hard to, to narrow down to uh, exactly what the return is. And it's also hard to even figure out exactly how much you're spending on an artist, you know, given all those different things that are involved in the artist relations program. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a tough job uh, for both the smaller companies and the huge companies. Yeah, Uh, definitely. Well, and, and I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about the newer stuff, but social media, you're, you're almost as, as, as good as, uh, your playing matters probably as much, if not uh, maybe less than your your following count, where where you're, the number of eyeballs who are on you. Like, obviously, you want to be a good drummer, mm-hmm. but it's so important now to be like, you know, a presence online because mm-hmm. that's huge. That's, that's what it's yeah. all about. Yeah. It, it brings a situation to mind that's kind of out of sequence. But, uh, um, it bears on that exact situation. So I'm going to go ahead and and give it. Um, And it kind of bears on the current state of artist relations, too, because it was a fairly recent uh, event. It was at the Chicago Drum Show. Of course, I deal with a lot of artist relations people when I start looking into clinicians and what kind of support they're going to get from the companies they work with and all of that. And uh, back in the uh, 90s, I think it was, I, I got a uh, request from a young lady. Uh, she wrote to me a real nice, uh, well-written letter saying that she wanted to play at the drum show. And I, I wrote back and thanked her for writing and for her interest, but I explained it's, it's not really that kind of show where you can, you know, just apply and uh, appear. Uh, I explained that we have a, a clinic program, but you know, generally the clinicians have uh, sponsors, and yeah. it, it's part of trying to attract attendees to the show and and so on. Uh, 
Well, uh, 12 months went by and I heard from the same young lady again. Only this time she explained that she had uh, endorsement deals. And, and at this point she was like 15, I think. And she already had endorsement deals with Gretsch and Zildjian and I think Firth or it might have been Vader, wow. but but that made me sit up. And I thought, well, geez, I still haven't heard her play, and I'm not sure that she's visible enough to put a lot of butts in the seat, but something is happening here. Uh, she's written twice, she's persistent over the course of a year, and she's got a bunch of endorsements. I, I better pay attention to this. So uh, what I did was I... I, I squeezed her in to the uh, clinic program uh, in an opening slot the first day of the show and early in the morning. And I kind of told my staff, this will this will be like a tech rehearsal. You know, it'll make <laughs> give us a chance to get the PA dialed in and everything. Yeah. And I uh, and and when I introduced her, I remember explaining to the crowd, "Look, you may not have heard of this this young lady yet, but." Uh, she's got some some pretty impressive credentials already. She's got deals with X, Y, and Z. And I predict that this is a person you're going to be seeing in the cover of magazines eventually. And all of those companies were kind of stepping out in the same way that I was at that time. Um, she was an unknown, but she had some persistence, good communication skills, and uh, definitely had something going on. Well, uh, try to uh, cut the story off before it comes becomes the whole episode. Uh, that was Hannah Ford. Uh -huh. uh, later became Hannah Ford Welton, and I took some guff not only that day for putting her on as an unknown, but over the coming weeks after we put up a. A clinic highlight reel on YouTube. I routinely had to go in and take down some of the the really rude and obscene almost uh, comments on it, just uh, that appear. You know, people become cyber emboldened oh, and so on. Yeah. Uh, but uh, man, the her career tra trajectory since then, uh, she did end up on some magazine covers and ended up playing with Prince and so on. Yeah, sure. So. Um, the, the artist relations people, um, have a lot of things to go on. It's not always your playing. It can be your persistence and your presentation and, and all of that. But yeah. I just, I just wanted to, to squeeze that in. No. And, and I, I love it. Cause I'm sure everyone like me was listening, kind of going, who is it? Who is it? And that's, I mean, that's a yeah. huge one, <laughs> you know, and you were right to kind of like to give her the opportunity, but, but you can't. Like, like you said, year one, you were like, listen, very respectfully, obviously you were like, it's just not mm -hmm. like that. Cause there, there's just something about endorsements where everyone thinks they deserve one and they should be given one, but, but you just got to stick with it. And, um, and you did the right thing, but then she, she was obviously persistent, which clearly worked out in her favor, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. That was modern. Now, I'd love to go back and kind of touch on the origins of uh, endorsements, because I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of just it's it's a big topic now. But, you know, clearly people have had brands that wanted to get to more eyeballs and ears for a really long time. So how, what was the origins mm -hmm. of it? Uh, probably goes right back to the origins of entertainment. And, and when I think of drum world endorsements, uh, I, I think of the early days of advertising of drums. And that, that brings to mind uh, periodicals like the Ludwig Drummer mm -hmm. and the Leedy Drum Topics. Uh, they were, I'm not sure if, which was the chicken and which was the egg, but both, both companies that were at one time or another the world's largest drum company in the world and they both put out these uh magazines as as kind of a pr tool and they would uh, be from uh, 24 to 30 pages and uh, a few editorial articles and and ads on their product but the overwhelming amount of page space was to their artists and uh, there was a, a certain amount of big name artists, uh, uh, Jack Powell and, uh, of course, uh, 
Buddy Rich, Traps the Drum Wonder, mm-hmm. and and so on. But there were an awful lot of uh, local or regional uh, endorsers, uh, even uh, whole groups, uh, marching bands and uh, uh, female bands, uh, just all sorts of things. And by giving them space in this nationally distributed uh, magazine, it enhanced their credibility locally. Uh, and I, I think it kind of grew out of that. Of course, the, the bigger the name and the bigger the, uh, the more attention they were gathering with their band or as a soloist, uh, the, the more print they would get. And it, it would just kind of uh, build from there. You know, it's, uh, I almost kind of see a parallel to like like baseball cards or something where mm-hmm. it doesn't really have much to do with the actual. Yeah, obviously, you'll have your stats on the back and I'm not really a big baseball guy or a baseball card guy, but you you idolize these people. It it puts them in a different, you know, you you, you can stare at this card and it's more about the person than it is the um, just the, the statistics and things like that, where, you know, you mm-hmm. don't put someone who's well first off you probably wouldn't be a major league player or a major league drummer if you weren't good so that's pretty much baseline but after that you can choose who you like and you can go oh i love jack Mm -hmm. powell or oh i love buddy rich um oh i don't like whoever you know i don't want to say anyone's name but like Mm -hmm. um so it kind of personifies them a little more and you might learn more about them and and stories so it's really mutually beneficial. The companies need yeah. the drummers and the drummers need the companies for obvious reasons. I would almost say the companies need the drummers more than the drummers need the companies minus the the gear and things like that. Mm-hmm. But really, mm-hmm. really big benefit to them. Exactly. And and again, jumping up to current days and then we'll go back to Jack Powell and, and Traps because there's a few things I want to mention there. But uh one of, one of the things I found interesting in, in another one of John DeChristopher's uh, interviews where he talks with uh, Jeff Jonas and, and some other uh, texts, but one of the things that came out is the fact that Ringo never really had an endorsement agreement with Zildjian. Hmm. And Ringo never, I know from uh, working with uh, the chief, uh, Bill Ludwig II, there was also not an endorsement agreement there. Uh, obviously a lot of drums were being sold, uh, because of their affiliation and a lot of cymbals because of the affiliations with, with Ringo, but Ringo was making no demands and obviously they, they ended up supplying equipment. I mean, all they had to do on a U.S. tour was let the Ludwig factory know how many kits they wanted in which location and so on. And they were there, mm, yeah. but, but. There was no business requirement. There was no contractual uh, obligation to do that. <laughs> and uh, uh, the chief told me once that uh, he used to refer to his house in Oakbrook as the house that Ringo built. You know, he, he uh, <laughs> grew funny. up in River Forest but and built this large house in uh, Oakbrook and um, always referred to it as the house that Ringo built. Oh, wow. And, and he told me that there were times when he was half afraid to answer the phone because he was afraid it was going to be Ringo with his demands. And, <laughs> and Ringo never made any. Wow. I mean, they, they, they treated him well. They gave him stuff and, and took care of him. Uh, yeah. But there was no contract uh, requiring them to do A, B, and C, and so on. So there was a good case of... Uh, really the company needing the artist more than the artist needing the company. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I remember Gary Astridge talked about how he's not on, on Gary's episode about Ringo, about how Ringo wasn't the biggest gear minded guy in the world at like at all. And so maybe he, mm-hmm. maybe he didn't know, but also probably he had bigger fish to fry being in the Beatles rather than to, uh, mm-hmm. chase, you know, money yeah. through his drum <laughs> yeah. endorsement. What would, yeah his demands be let's say if Ringo went the other way and was kind of like, you know, nickel and diming a little bit, what could someone in that mm-hmm. position would, would they want a percentage of, you know, kit sales mm-hmm. for his, obviously his famous finish or would, would, what would that be? Uh, yeah, probably all of the above, uh, and, and certainly cash. And we'll, we'll talk about that, about the, the, uh, 
introduction of big cash because it came became kind of a uh, a competition, a sweepstakes in the seventies uh, and eighties. But uh, backing up uh, to those early days with all of those guys in the topics and the Ludwig drummer and in even the big name ones. And and Jack Powell is a a name I mentioned earlier that I want to come back to is in the 20s. He was the the highest paid salaried drummer in the world. He was making like three thousand dollars a week in the 20s. If you can imagine, I mean, that's just a mind-boggling Gosh, uh, figure. And uh, unfortunately, when vaudeville collapsed, the career of Jack Powell did also. He was kind of a specialty act. Mm-hmm. He, um, and you can probably even find him on YouTube. He, he, he did a lot of specialty things where he'd come out in a chef's costume yep. and, and do his, all of his playing on pots and pans and stuff. And, uh, he'd, he'd play on chairs on the backs of chairs and stand on and tip the chair over and, yep. and all this stuff. And, uh, I, I visited his son. Uh, uh, Jack, of course, is gone, but uh, I visited his son in uh, suburban New York once, and he was telling me about uh, how his dad's career kind of collapsed. And uh, the guy was a tremendous entertainer, but it was almost like kind of an idiot savant. Like he was limited to that. He huh. didn't transition to, you know, playing in a band and, and, uh, having long engagements and so on. It was kind of a spot uh, thing. One of the the funny stories he told me about his dad when he was trying to tell me about his dad's uh, kind of tunnel vision and so on. You know, he was obviously a smart guy, had great rhythm, incredible technique. I mean, to to be commanding $3,000 a week in those days. Obviously, he had a lot on the ball. But the story that David told me about his dad was (laughs) in – as far as other skills, he went out to uh, trim some branches off of a tree by their garage, and he's, he climbed up and got on a branch and reached down and sawed off the, the limbs below him because he could reach them easily, climbed up a little bit further and did the same thing until he ended up so high up in the tree that he had sawed off all of the branches that were going to be needed to climb down. And they had to call the fire department to come and get him down. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. That's like literally the definition of like painting yourself into a corner where you're like, yeah, oh, I can't get yeah, out now. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, but, but in those days when he was making all that money, there's no mention of a payment. And I'm sure there was none because I, I, I would have seen a mention of it somewhere in all the archives I've dug through and the people that I've talked to doing the, the books on uh, Ludwig Slingerland, Lady and Gretch, there just was no cash for, for endorsers. They, they did obviously supply him with equipment. Uh, they gave him lots of press and that was valuable. But, uh, same kind of thing with, uh, Buddy Rich, uh, when, when he was little, um, the chief told me that they they used to supply him with a bass drum and his first uh, performances as some of his earliest performances as uh, traps the drum wonder he was small enough to play his opening solo from behind the bass drum and not be seen yeah. and uh, uh, there was this tremendous drum solo all this stuff happening and then uh, out would step buddy from behind the bass drum and uh people were astounded yeah but uh, a little and, sailor outfit and stuff like that. yeah yeah uh mel torme searched for years and never was able to come up with the video there was a vitaphone video recorded with with audio and wow. the audio is still out there you can uh, sure. access it's that good. yeah but but uh, mel was never able to find the uh the video footage but the chief said they had to uh, year after year make larger bass drums as as he grew up <laughs> to, <laughs> to keep him hidden from behind it yeah but uh the uh buddy and jack were were not getting paid in those days they they were getting uh you know a lot of a lot of coverage i mean there was a, a ludwig drummer with jack powell on the cover and he was a, a big time endorser but uh, yeah, people people were not getting paid in cash. Well, I mean, so I just did a quick kind of Google thing where you, you know, what was it 
in 1920s money versus now. And $3,000 a week is like $40,000 a week. <laughs> Can you imagine money? <laughs> oh my God. Wow. And yeah. you know, I don't, it, it was, it was a different time. Someone's going to Google it. They're going to say, why didn't you bring it up? Jack Powell, obviously being a vaudeville guy, he did do some things that maybe wouldn't be okay today with like blackface, the minstrel shows, Obviously, that's a completely different topic, but I figured someone's going to say, why didn't you mention that? Um, but yeah, so yeah. anyway, um, now, Buddy, he was obviously with Ludwig. Jack was with Ludwig. Their leady was indo- had endorsers, like you mentioned, with the leady topic. So the magazines are going strong. Um, Gene Krupa. These are some of the big guys we had back then, uh, which all of these people created new drummers, which then sells drum sets to kids and that's the whole goal is to just sell more drum sets yeah now now krupa was in a category of his of his own because yeah just just the uh well i go back and listen to the the brooks tegler uh episode and uh i mean the guy um revolutionized uh the the visibility of the the drummer as a performer and and slingerland was uh, obviously cognizant of that and and uh he also did not get a straight uh endorser fee but when they recognized uh, came to recognize fully his importance to the company they they actually gave him a contract that called for him to receive a royalty based on every drum that Slingerland sold mm. everything in their catalog. <laughs> I mean, it's on their gross sales. This was oh. uh, it's, there's a copy of it in the Slingerland book and it was uh, signed in 1946 by Bud Slingerland and uh, Gene Krupa. And it calls for him to receive three quarters of 1% of gross annual sales every year for the next 10 years at that point. Wow. And I, I'm not sure after that 10 years uh, how it extended out, but um, that was pretty unusual, and it's not something that you hear about anybody else getting back at that time. But but clearly he was responsible for selling a heck of a lot of Slingerland drums, and yeah. and uh, they wanted to secure his place. Yeah. It's also unusual, I should mention, that you, you don't typically have someone who is so diehard connected to a brand like Gene Krupa and Slingerland where he's on every cover of their 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 catalogs and it's just usually people switch around a little mm-hmm. bit and it's a big deal when yeah. someone switches from you know company X to company Y but Gene was like through and through so they probably just really had yeah. a, a really a great relationship yeah. yeah and and we'll be talking about people switching around and so on and I, I want to make it clear that I have a tremendous amount of respect for all of these artists and uh, it's, it, uh, they really can't be judged as a person or, or for their artistic skill based on what they did in terms of a business relationship. Sure, but uh, um, it does give drum companies and cymbal companies and stick companies a bit of a headache when people switch around. Yeah. Uh, uh, John mentioned uh, Johnny D and in, in his uh, uh, series mentioned that Armand had a firm policy of nobody coming back. <laughs> if somebody left Zildjian, they could not come back because wow. he didn't want to deal with, uh, you know, what some people uh, kind of off the cuff refer to as endorsement whores. <laughs> and uh, that, that's a pretty derogatory turn, but you, you can imagine sure. the frustration of, uh, you know, working hard to develop a relationship and then see it uh, evaporate as the person walks away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, it was, uh, and a situation that comes to mind uh, is uh, now Buddy Rich was, started out with Ludwig, but he did end up with uh, Slingerland. In fact, uh, I have to go back and uh, take a look at, there's a whole chart that shows when he was with whom, because he was with Slingerland a couple of times, he was with Ludwig a couple of times, he was with WFL, he even ended up with, uh, I think, Trixon Mm -hmm. and, of course, Rogers. But um, (laughs) the chief uh, in his little section on and Buddy, in, in his book, The Making of a Drum Company, explains that the way he was able to lure Buddy away from Slingerland 
was uh, to point out to Buddy that, hey, you're always going to be number two at Slingerland because (laughs) Gene's going to be number one. You come to WFL, you're going to be number one, and we're going to do everything for you and blah, blah, blah. And And he says that that worked. Now, there may have sure been cash. Uh, I'm not not sure about that. Yeah. Uh, and often where there was cash, um, it was kept secret because uh, nobody wants that to get out, especially to your other endorsers. You know, and then you then they want to know who's making more than me. Why am I not getting as much as them? And yeah, and so on. But but the chief. Uh, did feel motivated to, to use that carrot to get Buddy away from Slingerland and, and onto uh, WFL. Which he, he's playing on his personality type of, um, you know, Buddy, which was very much like that. Mm-hmm. Going, no, I'm going to be number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it, yeah. clearly it worked. Um, but if, I mean, these are the upper tier of upper tier drummers, Buddy and Gene. I mean, of, of literally we're talking about them now. Um, a long time mm-hmm. after they were, you know, the the top in the world, and uh, clearly they've left their their impact. And you think of Slingerland with Gene and uh, Ludwig with Buddy. Well, Buddy, you think of different companies, but um, it it clearly it clearly worked. Um, yeah, so a good move. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where where the money really became a factor, uh, I believe, was more like in the late 60s and then into the 70s and 80s. And uh, the chief said that Buddy was at the uh, at fault for, for generating the whole war by uh, because Henry Grossman uh, – started it all by paying $10,000 for Buddy to switch to Rogers. Uh-huh. Um, and that's that's fair, probably a fairly reliable source because he was luring him away from Ludwig. So um, I, I don't have independent documentation of that uh, $10,000. So I you know, yeah. wouldn't want to take take that to the bank literally. <laughs> but that, that was the chief story Got is it. that Henry, Henry Grossman, uh, the owner of Rogers, paid buddy 10 grand to switch to Rogers. Um, then later, uh, the rumor was that buddy, when he was back at Ludwig was getting uh, 25,000. Uh, the, the war was on at that point. And, uh, Ed Shaughnessy was in the middle of it. Uh, Louis was probably in there. I know Carmine was in there. Uh, and every, all of these top drummers knew that other people were making big money. So they wanted the big money also. And the, the drum companies, especially into the late seventies were highly motivated to keep their top stars and keep them happy as uh, they were starting to be attacked by the Japanese. I mean, you've got Tama and Yamaha and everything coming in. And if, you know, read any of the books in the late 70s is where it all started to hit the fan. All the American companies were, were starting to have difficulties. Uh, Rogers gets sold to CBS. Uh, Ludwig gets sold to Con Selmer and so on. But in those final days of the, the late 70s, before those corporate sales went on, they were starting to pay uh, big money. Mm. And usually those those uh, endorsement deals went by the wayside when the company changed ownership. That was just kind of a given. Uh, they didn't have to be told that, you know, when you go to a new company, all, all bets are off. Mm. And in fact, uh, Buddy was pretty excited when CBS bought uh, Rogers because he was assuming that CBS would be signing his band and yeah. supporting his band and so on. And one of the stories I heard is when the the affiliation with CBS didn't turn into a cash cow for him, that's when he left Rogers. Hmm. And then uh, Don Don Lombardi was mentioning in his interview with Johnny D a story about Buddy being without an endorsement at about that time. And... uh, the, the question that led him into the story was, uh, hey, I saw a, a, an early DW kit that was a Buddy kit. What, what's the story behind that? And and Buddy did play it. Uh, 
uh, briefly. Uh, but just before that, uh, Buddy was coming to L.A. Uh, to meet with uh, Freddie Gruber and Don and, and a bunch of his old pals. And he gave him a heads up before he got there that he was shopping for an endorsement deal. And he wanted somebody to go to the Japanese and try to get him a hundred grand. <laughs> <laughs> so he wanted somebody to go go shopping with Yamaha or Tom and see who was who was going to pony up wow. the hundred grand. And and then the next the next debate was well, who's going to tell Buddy when he comes that we couldn't do it? <laughs> yeah, <who's, laughs> who pulls the shortest said, straw? <laughs> they, and they they said no. So that that led to him uh, uh, giving Don's. Uh, drums a, a try yeah. but uh a hundred grand just it wasn't going to happen and no. going back to that that idea of getting a return on your investment can you imagine how many drums you'd have to sell to to pay your artist a hundred grand and figure it's going to boost your sales by yeah and no, that's a million dollars <laughs> crazy and but yeah. that makes me think too so we're talking about the kings of drumming here at that time not everyone mm-hmm. was like that. So obviously there's different yeah. um there's different levels that people would be endorsed at, but my uh, which I want to talk about those mm-hmm. those, you know, um I I have a great um outline that you've sent me where it talks about discounts on gear, free gear and then cash payments, but mm-hmm. what I want to know too is now we live in, you know, the in 2021, you email, you send your YouTube clips. Back then, if I was trying to get an endorsement and I was I was at a level where I thought this makes sense. Like I I want to reach out to let's say Ludwig and get an endorsement. Uh, Maybe they haven't heard of me because there's so many drummers in the world, but I think, you know, man, I think I'm ready and I think Mm -hmm. I deserve an endorsement. How would I go about doing that? Would I send a letter? Would I invite them to a show? Would I, and then maybe we jump into those levels of what the endorsements might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of the above. You, uh, just a blind letter, and it, it would get through to the right people. The, the companies weren't so big that they didn't know, you know, who who that letter was intended for. Yeah. Um, and they they the larger companies did start to formalize it with with levels, and and I don't have dates on that, but I'm I'm thinking. I, I know just from being in the business and seeing it happen that by the uh, the mid '80s that some of the bigger companies had level one, level two, level three endorsers simply because they had so many and they they had to to uh, codify it a bit. So a level one guy would get included in the the ads. Um, he would get free sticks. Uh, he would get maybe access to a kit uh, at, a, at a certain gig. It, it was all down in black and white when they mm. they signed them, and then uh, on up to you know a level three, and it 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 would become a little bit nebulous. Uh, they they didn't want to put into black and white uh, some of the things that they would do for their top flight, but again, those guys were kind of off the chart. Yeah. It was a level one, two, three, and then they were there their big stars that they were saying, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to get you some magazine covers and stuff. Sure. Uh, one of the, the most interesting things I found when I went through the Slingerland archives in uh, Nashville sort, shortly after the Gibson bought Slingerland from uh, Gretsch was a file on Carmine. And uh, it, it went through the contract. Uh, well, the contract was there uh, and a, a give you some of the details of it because uh there wasn't strictly a cash payout but here's here's what he was getting they they set up an advertising budget of uh, $25,000 so those ads were supposed to be split throughout the year but they would gar- they guaranteed Carmine that they would be spending 25 grand on ads that featured him mm. um and they had those ads had to incorporate his concert tour and personal appearance itineraries and it promote his lps and books and they were all subject to carmine's approval all of the ads uh there was a clinic uh, program that would book carmine and it had to book him for 10 clinics and the clinics had to have a clinic fee involved of a thousand dollars to 1750 depending on the clinic wow. 
and then of course plus expenses. Uh, also, he got three complete drum outfits in the course of the year, and uh, he was also paid for being at trade shows. Uh, he he was committing to two trade show appearances per year at twelve hundred and fifty dollars a day with a five thousand dollar annual guarantee. So if they failed to, you know, get him. Uh, the minimum of the four days at trade shows at twelve fifty a day, they still had to pay him, you know, five grand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and that was kind of at the peak. I mean, uh, within a couple of years after that, that's not crazy to me. Like sometimes when, when like the stuff where it's just a straight, here's cash to like, buddy, I almost think of it's like, like, it's like cash in an envelope wrapped in a newspaper that you hand as you're like yeah. walking by <laughs> kind of like a shady thing. But with Carmine, mm. he's a celebrity. I mean, he's a famous drummer mm-hmm. that honestly seems pretty well spelled out. It's you don't want him not getting paid and struggling to live. Um, so so honestly, that that's that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. It's high level. But but honestly, I don't think that's like exorbitant and like too outlandish um he's a because those require he's working for those he's doing the clinics he's going to the shows the first drum clinic i ever saw when i was really young was at macon music uh macon you know with an n and an Mm -hmm. apostrophe they they, um elmer monk was my drum teacher he owned the store and carmine a piece did a uh, clinic there and that was the first one i saw and he he was great and he did um uh he signed i still have a signed photo from him from when I was like, you know, 10 years old and, uh, it was really cool. So that's, you know, it, it worked. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was definitely worth it or, and, and they, and Slingerland obviously felt it was worth it or they wouldn't have uh, agreed to the contract. They, they wanted him and they, they felt he was, you know, going to be able to deliver and, uh, they would make it back, uh, in spades and, uh, they may have, uh, but it didn't save the company. I mean, they, they were, <laughs> gone uh, shortly after that sure. uh but it wasn't uh because they spent too much on on carmine or anything yeah but uh yeah. It, it, that was a one-year contract and near the end of the one year uh carmine's agent did uh, notify slingerland that he had chosen to go with another company and was not going to be renewing his affiliation with them hmm. Yeah, well, that happens. I mean, that's uh, oh yeah. That the power is really in the drummer's hands of of kind of going like, oh, well, I'm going to go with someone else now. But but that really must be kind of a bad feeling, like you said, where where uh, Armin Zildjian was like, well, then you're you're out, you're done, I'm done with you, never again. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, it must be bad for like an, an an artist relations person to be like, oh, all right, well, I've built this relationship with this person, I know them, we hang mm-hmm. out, you know, we talk a lot, and then they're gone. That must be yeah. not good. Yeah, and I, I suppose it's it's one of the advantages for the owners of the company when it was family owned and so on. Uh, one of that's one of the advantages of having an artist relations person, somebody like uh, John De Christopher, Lenny DeMusio, Mike Morse, who are are very smooth, great people skills, and they can be a middleman. Uh, and and and. The same would be true for the artist. It's it's often helpful for the artist to have an agent or representative, yeah. Uh, so they can they can speak frankly back and forth to the artist relations guy and say what they're thinking without you know pissing anybody off. Uh, yeah. And the art, artist relations guy can say, "Hey, here's what I can do, and I just can't do any more." And whereas the owner of the company. If he's saying I can't do any more, the artist is going to be thinking, "Hey, you're the owner; you can do whatever you want." Yeah. <laughs> so it it gives them a buffer, you know. I mean, that's a great kind of like detour to go down of like uh, artist relation men and women. Like, how do you get that job? How do you get into that? It's like <laughs> such like a you, you know like what do yeah. you put on your resume to get an artist relation gig? Like it's and then maybe what is your day to day life like if you, if you're if you know yeah. that. Yeah, that's, uh, you get a feel for that, I think, from John, and that's a better sure. question for John. But one situation that it that it brings to mind is that I found myself falling into one. Uh, I was 
the artist relations guy for for like two days at uh, for Slingerland as a division of Gibson, and Gibson uh, bought Slingerland from Fred Gretsch, and at the time HSS was actually distributing and designing and marketing uh, Slingerland, and uh, Buzz King was the guy in charge, and he had a, an artist roster and so on. And the rug kind of got pulled out from under him when when Slingerland was sold to to Gibson, and the whole artist relations uh, program that Buzz had just evaporated. And it wasn't like you know you would think, well, I'm a Slingerland artist, maybe my agreement will carry over to this new company, but it did not. In fact, they didn't even get a list. I was contacted by the the Slingerland folks in Nashville asking who their endorsers were because they didn't even get a list. <laughs> they didn't even know who Buzz King's Slingerland artist had been. Wow. It, it just astounded me. But yeah. then fast forward several years from there, and I uh, had a new edition of the Slingerland book come out and and Gibson had helped me with some uh, some art and we did a special edition with one of their Nashville snare drums on the cover and so on and they allowed me to set up a little table at their uh, big Nam show booth and uh, promote the book and I, I got there with my little sign and a stack of books and so on and uh, one of the guys came over and said, oh, and by the way, you know, the, our, our district sales managers will be, you know, bringing dealers by and asking you questions because they're guitar guys and they don't know anything <laughs> about drums. But here, here's a Slingerland uh, price list, current price list. So you could look it over and, you know, and kind of help these district sales managers out with uh, with drum questions. I said, sure, sure. That'd be great. That'd be fun. And then as it developed over the course of the weekend, I also became the guy that they were sending uh, all these people. There was a constant parade. You can imagine with the, uh, a name that big and a show that big, there's a constant stream of people wanting endorsement deals. <laughs> and, <laughs> of course. and it was easy for anybody in the booth just to say, yeah, go talk to that guy over there, which was me. <laughs> yeah. Him. So, he'll, he'll tell, so, he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and some of them were kind of prepared and some of them weren't, a lot of them were just, they just figured they could come up and say, Hey, I want an endorsement and, and tell me about what a great drummer they were and what a big shot they were in their local area. And boom, they would, they would start getting free drums. <laughs> so, it was just one guy after another. And I, you know, I got the, a, a, a pat reply down after the first half a dozen or so. And I would, ex you know, explain, you don't want to tell them to, to, you know, piss off. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, the, the people skills of those people really shine is you, you don't want to say no, never, you know, forget it. Uh, you want to say not yet, you know, because you <laughs> never know. I mean, really? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this, this guy could be, uh, you could be working for him in two years <laughs> yes, for, you know, sure. they as strange as the, the business is. Yeah. So, but basically you had to say to him, I, uh, you know, tell you what, uh, uh, you need to send me a bio. And I'll forward it to the right guy. And in, in addition to the bio, we need to know, you know, who you're playing with. If you can send a, a copy of your latest recording, that'd be great. And, a, and an itinerary, where you're playing, uh, who you're playing with, and, and, and on and on. And, you know, as you're explaining this, you can kind of see the, the face fall on some of them. You know, yep. they're thinking, well, geez, I don't, I don't have a record deal. And we're not doing any TV or touring right now yep. and, and so on. But, uh, and then also there's the, the importance of the advertising of an artist in his local area. Sometimes you, you're a big fish uh, in the little pond sure. kind of thing. And, and that, that's what I was seeing with a lot of these guys that were coming up to me at that show. They, 
they were very important in a certain region. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was really cool was one time I got an invitation. It, it was in the late 70s. And there was kind of a roadshow going around, kind of sponsored by Zildjian and Pearl. And uh, they sent uh, Lenny DiMuzio and, uh, from Zildjian, Walt Johnson from Pearl, Robert Zildjian was there, and they had Larry London. Uh, present as a uh, Pearl uh, endorser and, and artist. And uh, it was for dealers only. Mm. And uh, it was about 50 miles from uh, where my shop was. I came to Lansing. They were doing like one estate or I don't know how many they did, but I know they did one in Michigan. And there were maybe a dozen uh, dealers there. And one of the things that they rolled out that I thought was really cool uh, on Pearl's part they had a series of artist pictures uh, that uh, all, all they were all eight by tens, and they had a, a, a uniform border. And they had the pearl logo, and they had a uniform text at the bottom with the spelling out the guy's name and and where he's uh, located, and identifying him as a pearl artist. And uh, they had. Uh, they were opening this up for dealers to sign local artists as endorsers. So I, I could just uh, take, you know, the best of my local bar band drummers and sign him as a Pearl endorser. All I had to do was send a, a picture of him to Pearl and they would provide me with a stack of these uh pearl endorser photos and they they probably didn't go any further than that yeah. it wasn't like they were putting taking out full page ads anywhere or anything but it was a big deal for that guy and that dealer because you had kids coming in and they they see this on the bulletin board and you've got this guy there signing signing them for the local kids and stuff and i i thought that was a neat way for them to to try to involve uh the, the big fish that were in little ponds, you know, and, and yeah. give them some exposure at a local level. Yeah. I mean, it's like we acknowledge that this is a really good drummer who's doing great things in his region. And we mm -hmm. want to let people know that we know who he is and he's a part of our roster. Obviously, there's yeah, the huge yeah. tier. So, so that would almost be like the if there's a one, two and three, that would almost be at like point five of like. Like we're not giving them. I mean, it sounded like you weren't getting really gear discounts or or things like that, but you're just recognized. And I think that's exactly yeah. That's at the core yeah. of all this. Of the good thing of, I mean, I think we've both been pretty positive about endorsements and not very because people can be cynical. But at the core of it, it's cool to get recognized by someone, a brand that you love, uh, as someone who's worth you know them promoting you a little bit it's it makes you feel great as a drummer to be to be recognized so that's really cool that they yeah, did that yeah 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 i thought it was a neat program and uh, i i think somebody should do that uh still um it uh yeah it helps to recognize people and it sells gear i mean that's uh those people that are, are coming into your shop uh they're they're seeing their their local heroes uh, playing at the garage bands. Are seeing the bar band players uh, getting some recognition, and that that the endorsements mean something to them. Yeah, possibly more than uh, the the mega drummers sometimes because they might actually know that guy. He may actually work as a server at a restaurant for you know his his regular job, and they can say, "Hey, do you like uh, what, what what kind of pearl mm -hmm. drums do you like? What's your favorite Zildjian sizes?" And then he can go, "Oh yeah, mm -hmm. I like this," and then. You know, because he actually lives there or, you know, I'm talking about local, local yeah. stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. But so that's that's super cool and very, uh, you know, almost wholesome and on the up and up. But it seems like as we get more modern here towards the the end uh, of the episode, things now are just they almost seem more murky where there's companies who are doing endorsements where like you get an endorsement. And you get a discount on an on a on a cymbal or a drum, but it was marked up, and then the endorsement price brings it down to just what the normal price is to begin with, kind of thing. Like like, there's a lot of weird mm -hmm. endorsement stuff going on now. What is your take on modern endorsements? Um. Well, I I 
I'm pretty close to the the heart of that whole situation because of the uh, the drum show and and getting people in who are, have endorsement deals. And uh, I may answer that question to kind of explain what I go through when yeah, when I uh, am seeking out a, a clinician. The first one of the first things I do is uh, see who he works with, and uh, sometimes they're not even quite clear on the concept. You know, I've, I've had situations where I ask a guy who he works with or what, what uh, brands of equipment he, he works with, and he gives me a list. And then when I start going to those companies to inquire about possible support for that artist, I get a response saying, well, yeah, you really, we don't have a deal with him. You know, yeah. He may be playing our stuff, but uh, sorry, sure. we're not going to support. But what what I'm what is typical with with me with a uh, a clinician at the drum show is they they often will have a fee of anywhere from uh, five hundred dollars to two thousand dollars, and then they also want their airfare and their hotel and local you know ground transport and all that so uh i i need to to see if it's going to work find out who they're working with and how much those companies are apt to uh help out with and quite a quite a few of them have budgets for their more uh visible clinicians and it's not unusual let's say i've got a a guy uh, I was in the, the very top tier and flying him in from across the country and he's got a $2,000 clinic fee. So all in all, I'm going to have, you know, 3,500 bucks wrapped up and getting him there and so on. Um, I might have a drum company willing to pay $500 and then it usually slides, usually a cymbal company, maybe $300, maybe a stick company, $100, a head company, $100. And you add all those up to kind of defray the cost. And uh, those are cash payments that go directly to the artist. And they, they, that wasn't always the case, but uh, there were some unscrupulous uh, promoters who managed to collect more in support than they were actually even paying the oh. artists. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, it's pretty much the rule of the road now that um, any support that's pledged from the companies to help you defray the cost is paid directly to the artist. Gotcha. So, so I... I go to the artist, you know, a few weeks before the show when I'm giving him his uh, confirmation numbers and and going over the flight uh, details and giving him the number of who's going to pick him up at the airport and all that. And then I go through the whole uh, agreement again and say, okay, we agreed to pay you 2000 in cash, uh, but by the way, I have commitments from xyz drums for 500 and your stick company for 200 and blah 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 so then the bottom line is i'm going to hand you a envelope at the show that has 600 in it and you'll get the rest of your fee from all these companies yeah so that that's pretty much the way that works and then they and, would hang banners or you'd put on the screen zildjian sabian yeah. whatever you would then promote them and but trickle down the actual end result mm-hmm. of this for you is like I think of that the previous Chicago show scene like Glenn Kochi play and it was just like um this is this is awesome this is why I'm here is to see this clinic with a great drummer and that's what it's all about is getting butts in the seat for you I see the advertisers and it's boom there you go it's work yeah yeah and and uh, for any promoters that might be listening or, th- or thinking about putting on a clinic or something yeah your your work isn't done when they say yes we'll support you uh, it's just getting started you need to uh, make sure that they feel they're getting their money's worth and uh you know they're going to give you banners and and catalogs and and so on and you want to make all of that stuff pay for them you want to hand the stuff out any door prizes they give you you, you need to make a very visible presentation. And in fact, what, what I've always done at the Chicago show is have a big screen behind the artist yeah. 
and, and it has the Rebeats logo in a PowerPoint along with the logos of all the companies that have kicked in. Yep. And actually, I have it timed out so that the the percentage of time that each logo is shown is direct has a direct relation to the amount of support that wow. they're offering. And then Smart. after the show, you want to supply all of those sponsors with action shots showing the drummer with that company's logo so that they can use it in their social media and so on and, and send them a nice thank you along with those pictures saying, man, it really helped us to put this thing on that you were so generous with supporting your artist. And here's some pictures that you can use. Mm. And thanks so much because you want to be able to go back to them the next year and, and feel proud of what you did the first time around. Yeah. I mean, talk about doing it right and not burning any bridges and doing everything on the up and up. And and honestly, to kind of, as we wrap up, to circle back to my question about what do you think about it today, and it's kind of murky, I just think the takeaway is that, you know, you have to deserve, you have to really need the endorsement, and it has to be mutually beneficial, and it has to, I mean, there's mm-hmm. these are people's, literally, these are people's jobs, this is the money for the company, this is on Rob's end, it's it's the the actual clinic, and it's it's not just okay. This person has a you know pretty good following. Let's give them free gear. There there really has to oh, be yeah. reasons yeah. behind it. Yeah, you have to be self promoting, and it kind of goes back to Hannah. Um, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to wait until you've got an agent or a manager out there and, and do all the legwork and get a tour and a record and all that. Uh, you can start out of the gate uh, and promoting yourself, uh, but do it tastefully. And <laughs> it's a lot easier if you do have the tour and the record and everything to then go and say, Hey, and by the way, I really like these sticks. I've been using them, you know, Hey, what are the chances of getting an endorsement deal? And, uh, yeah. you know, what, what can you offer? And here's what I can provide, man. I can, uh, I'll be using, continuing to use these sticks cause I really like them. And, and so, but, yeah. which reminds me, I've got time for a short uh, stick story. Sure. And this this is Buddy again. Uh, Mike Walter uh, makes sticks and mallets in uh, Chicago, and is is a, a pretty big name in that that corner of the uh, percussion market. And uh, he told me a story once about uh, trying to get Buddy to play his sticks, and he had an appointment to to take a bunch of his sticks when when he was first starting and uh, show them to Buddy. Uh, And uh, Buddy could be kind of a scary guy, but he was always perfectly nice to drummers, unless they were being rude to him or something. But uh, Mike was was really nervous. He takes a big double handful of sticks, and at the appointed time, he he goes to the tour bus and he knocks, and Buddy comes wearing nothing but a, a bathrobe and invites him on and and uh mike's got this handful of sticks and uh they they both sit down and buddy pulls up a cooler and he takes the first pair of sticks and he kind of weighs them a little bit looks them over and does a machine gun single stroke roll on the cooler just (laughs) and looks at him again puts him down picks up the next pair of sticks does the same thing plays every pair of sticks that that Mike had brought and then gathers them up and hands them to Mike and Mike leaves the bus. <laughs> He's afraid to even say anything, <laughs> but, and he never did really find out, you know, if what, what that all meant, <laughs> but, but, but uh, I, I think if buddy would have loved the sticks and it was something he was going to play, he would have said more, but yeah. He just he just handed them back and Mike left and end of story. <laughs> like it could have gone much 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 worse. So oh yeah, <laughs> that's hysterical. Well, I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I well, there's wrong ways to do it. There's wrong ways of people to say, hey, uh, be rude and say, endorse me, give me money. But um, it's mm-hmm. you just be respectful. You give them a reason and and all that good stuff. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's yeah. I, we've kind of laid out the blueprint uh, for that. You need to give them a reason for why you're in good investment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now this has just been awesome. And, and Rob, if you have a couple extra minutes, I'd love to do a, uh, one of our bonus episodes here. And I'd love to talk about as, as it's been quoted as 
saying the endorsement whores who uh, take <laughs> advantage of things and really just go overboard with it. Um, I've got a couple that you listed here, and maybe we can do that for you know five or ten minutes on the bonus episode oh, sure. if you have time. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be fun. Cool. If if you guys want to hear those uh, bonus episodes with Rob and a lot of the other guests, uh, you can go to drumhistorypodcast.com. And uh, there's a little uh, Patreon link there and you can, you know, pay two bucks extra and, and up and get all kinds of features. So on that note, Rob, I just think you should, uh, you know, feel really proud. You, you, the drum show happened this year. It was great. Um, I think everyone's really excited for the Chicago drum show in 2022 when the world is more normal. I absolutely loved the venue. I know it was there before, mm-hmm. but for me, who's kind of newer in the world, yeah. it was awesome. It was great. It's it, 2022. We'll be back to pretty much full steam. It, it's May 21st and 22nd. And we're even looking ahead to 2023 because uh, next year, 2022, we're going to have the clinic program come back, but at, at kind of a, a small scale. Yeah. Uh, we're still going to be in the uh, conference room upstairs in the main building. But we have an agreement with the fairgrounds for a totally separate building for 2023 the old trades one building where the drum show was in its first few years at kane county and that's going to be the clinic room uh so totally different building it's it's about 100 yards away and uh, then the clinic program will be back to full steam at that point so yeah we're excited about the future of the show that's awesome. Yeah, the it's cool how there's the different buildings. I this obviously being my first time there. I I pulled up. I was there on Sunday. I missed Saturday because I had to work. And I pulled up and I parked. And I think there was a gun show or something across the parking lot. And I pulled yeah. there first and very quickly realized I was in the wrong place. I was like, <laughs> yeah. these are not drummers walking around here. <laughs> so and I went across the parking lot and found our people um, pretty quickly. But yeah, Rob. As usual, thank you for being on the show and sharing this with me. Um, everyone can go and find Rob at rebeats, R-E-B-E-A-T-S dot com and check out yep. the amazing books and just everything Rob has going on. So, yep. Yep. Thanks so much, Bart. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, it's my pleasure. You're you're a favorite of the show and uh, you get brought up in pretty much every one out of every like three or four episodes just out of respect. <laughs> so um, I appreciate it, Rob. So everyone hang out and go check out the Patreon bonus episode. And uh, on that note, thank you, Rob. Thanks. If you like this podcast, find me on social media at Drum History and please share, rate and leave a review. And let me know topics that you would like to learn about in the future. Until next time, keep on learning.